0: Leaders dust off the ashes and use their failures as fuel to work harder and as lessons to come back wiser and stronger, more resilient, more determined, and more committed to excellence. Today, I'm speaking with Trina Martin. She is a technologist, author, speaker, leadership coach, and podcaster. She uses her experiences to motivate audiences to overcome adversity, develop self-determination and discipline. She is an accomplished IT professional and retired US Naval officer with 30 years of service. She's a native of Chicago, Illinois, the youngest of four children, the first in her family to attend college. And um, let's see, you went uh, while you were in the army, Reserves. So you started off in the Army Reserves, and put yourself through school at Alabama A&M University, Um, and these choices of Army Reserves and and university fueled your desire to succeed and revealed the depths of your resiliency. And we're going to get into that. Um, You know, I'm certain that you have some incredible advice for women that uh, are serving in male-dominated occupations. Um, I, um, I I want to start off with your background in, in Chicago, your family life, that sort of thing. But um, before we get into that, and we're going to hit on this later on, and at the end of the episode, I'll reinforce this, but uh, your your book, From a Mess to Amazing, Seven Steps to Create the Life You Deserve. She was a contributing writer for Thrive Global and a co-author of the anthology Make It Happen. If you're looking to uh, connect with Trina or purchase her book or Download the Complimentary Companion Workbook. You can go to her website at TrinaLMartin.com. I'll have the link in the show notes. Um, And also, you can go to your website. Uh, What is the name of your podcast, Trina?
1: My podcast is called Trina Talk. And there I speak with people around the world about their successes and their failures, their journey through life that has made them who they are and how they want to show up and impact other people. And I've, I've been around the globe as far as speaking to people and and people sharing their stories, whether they're business owners, entrepreneurs, leaders in the space they're in, or whether they're just everyday people who are doing some amazing things with their life that they want to share and what they have learned from their journey. So it's a, um, it's amazing platform. And I'm glad that I have started it because I've been able to meet and talk with some amazing people.
0: I can echo that. Uh, this podcast has been huge for me, just uh, an incredible learning experience and really um, has broadened my horizons, but uh, you can listen to your podcast um, If the listeners want to check you out, just go to your website and you have links to your podcast there. Um, And uh, also for technology consulting services, um, you provide training in person or virtual. So all this, we can uh, check you out on your website, right? That's correct. All right. Well, um, again, let's... uh, I'm really curious. I you know I told you earlier that uh, I served in the Navy. I went to boot camp in Great Lakes, uh, just northwest of Chicago, and uh, what an awesome city. Um, you know, I don't know what it would be like to grow up there because it's a huge city. Um, but I'd love to hear about your experience growing up there and um, maybe what your influences were, or you know, maybe some of your experiences that uh, really led to this no-quit attitude, this resilience that you have.
1: Yeah, you know, I have an interesting background. Uh, first of all, thank you, David, for having me on your show. I really appreciate it. Um, I grew up in Chicago, the youngest of four children, and myself and my siblings, well, I have the largest gap between my siblings and I. So my brother next to me, there's eight years. My eldest brother, there's 13. And my sister, there's 15. So I was the one who came far long after everyone else. Um, But I grew up in a household with a single mother and a mother who was very verbally abusive to me. Um, I was told I was ugly, I was lazy, didn't get any support as far as um, encouragement and emotional support and love as far as going forward, going to school, just those things that you would think looking at me today, you would think, oh, I must have had such a solid foundation behind me. And that was not the case. But as a result of having that traumatic childhood with a mother who was verbally abusive, I ended up doing things that I didn't have modeled for me, which have led me to where I am today. First being of Going to college. Um, I was the first person in my family to go to college. And since then, I have been the pioneer or the trailblazer where I've had nieces to actually go and complete the university as well. But growing up, I always had this, I was driven to succeed. And because of my mother, it made me driven to succeed and work hard to get away from her. So that mentality and that mindset that I had, basically drives me today. is you know, succeed, you know, there's no, no failure. Failure is not an option. I have to keep going, I have to succeed, go, go, go. And that's kind of how I live my life today, but I end up going to college, financing my own education, which I did a year of college. After my first year, I realized, okay, if I'm going to go through and complete this, I need some help, which is why I enlisted in the Army Reserves. And this was back in 1990, so we know that was during the Desert Storm era, uh, Saddam Hussein, when he was at his reign. And it's funny because I went in, and of course, I was a poor college student. The recruiter was like, oh, here's this occupation that you can go to, and it's got a $20,000 bonus. I was like, yes, that's, that's exactly what I need. It was ended, I ended up being a uh, NBC specialist, nuclear biological chemical so great for the time, right? 1990 and uh, the Gulf War, uh, Desert Storm. But I ended up doing that. Got called to go at the very last minute. I didn't have to go. So thank God for that. But I ended up transferring to the Navy, being enlisted there. And being um, I started out as what they called a, oh my God, it just slipped my mind. But it ended up a radio man. I was a radio man. Then I turned to IT And then I went into intelligence, and that's where I ended up getting my commission as an intelligence officer. But throughout my life, there has been bumps and just the hard way to go, but I I kept going. And that was one of the reasons why I wrote my book, From a Mess to Amazing, Seven Steps to Create the Life You Deserve. Because I found that even though I was this driven type A person, that my childhood ended up stemming and forming a lot of poor choices and bad decisions in my life which showed up prevalently in my relationships with uh, men so I was choosing the wrong men I was selling in relationships ended up in you know a very abusive relationships because I was just looking for someone to love me to validate me because I didn't get that at home because my self-worth and my self-esteem had been broken. My mother had totally, totally destroyed that. And I know some people listening are going, really, you grew up like that, but yet you do all, you know, you've done all of these amazing things in your life professionally. And I wrote the book because it got to a point where I ended up hitting a very dark period in my life. And I started just being miserable and things seemed like I would get up, I get knocked down again, I'll get up, I get knocked down again. And then I started to realize that I was this great person on the outside. I was type A, highly driven, very successful career-wise, military-wise. But personally, I was a mess. I was just torn up. I didn't know my worth. I didn't, you know, have self-esteem. I was dealing with my mother issues from childhood. And it just, it came to a place where I basically imploded. So I had to just basically you know, rebuild myself from the ground up, changing how I think, how I looked at my life. And I was really feeling helpless and hopeless. But that's why I wrote the book, because I said, well, you know what, if I feel like this, and I've accomplished so many things in my life, I know there's someone else out there who's feeling the same way. And they're wondering if they can accomplish things, because I was holding on to mistakes in my past, thinking, oh my goodness, I was so, you know, so dumb. Why did I do that? Why did I make this mistake? You know, I can't go forward because people are going to look at me this way or they're going to say this. And I really wanted people to know that regardless of what mistakes you made, what your past may have been, you are able to overcome, you know, your past may have been a mess, but you can turn it around and you can have an amazing future.
0: I would bet, a whole lot of money that you and I have a lot of similar experiences. Um, you know, <laughs> so this podcast titled "From Embers to Excellence" is about what you just said. you know, um, I've got a lot of those same issues, you know, bad memories, shame, stuff like that, you know, just um, our, our childhoods were probably similar, you know, um, with, you know, the contrast that, um, a white man and you're an African-American woman, um, I can't pretend to know everything that you've gone through, but, um, the issues of self-worth and making poor decisions, seeking that love and affection that you didn't receive, and and finding it in all the wrong places, and yeah, I uh, I, I, I feel you. Um, so one thing that I talk a lot about in this podcast is leadership and particularly self leadership, especially when, like in my experience, because, um, and this is, you know, I'm in the final stages of, of my book, um, one of the things that I discovered was that a lot of my poor decisions stemmed from ego, um, that, that insatiable desire to feel good. Cause I constantly just felt worthless. Um, you know, ego, desire to feel good. And just it, uh, it led to me making quite a few poor decisions and uh, bad relationships and bad judgment calls. And I'm a really smart guy. And some of the decisions I made, you would not Uh, come to that conclusion.
1: (laughs) Oh, I understand.
0: Yes, same here. So one of the things that I'd like you to talk about is maybe uh, what is your leadership philosophy and what are some of the things that that shape that philosophy for you?
1: Mm, Such a good question. You know, my leadership philosophy is my thing is character and integrity and really being genuine with caring about the people who you're leading. And that sh- I was shaped to be this way because I'm pretty sure you know you and everyone listening, I've had poor leadership and I've had good leadership. But i've I've looked at both and learned from both of them and and at the heart and core of the few, people that i said oh we're really good versus all the poor ones is just how they made me feel as a person not a number not what i could do uh, how hard i was working or whatever and that's that's my basis of how i lead is caring about the person me showing up with character and integrity because when you do those things you'll have people that will want to work for you, follow you, whatever the case may have been. And I and I say that, at, and I give the example of, I, I was 14 years enlisted in the military before I got my commission. So I served 14 years enlisted and I served 16 years as an officer, which made my my 30 years, over 30 years. But when I became an officer, the enlisted, when they found out that I was prior enlisted and that I wasn't just some academy grad or whatever they they ended up having so much respect for me and I was I was just real with them. I wasn't I didn't act like, "Okay, I'm an officer, you're enlisted, and so you're beneath me." I was real. I told them, "Look, I understand. I'm there where, you know, I used to be you. I used to be there." So, in return, I got people to really trust me, to confide in me, to say, "You know, you know, you're the best officer we've had because you understand you're not just looking down your nose at us and that was something that you know I would take any day you couldn't give me money for that because that really made me feel good because that was my objective is to be human and I think so many times we have leaders that don't know what that means they don't want to be authentic enough to really understand and learn their people. And, and that's what you have to do. You have to learn your people. You And I'm not saying you're going to know every little aspect of their life and they may not even want to share that with you. But when you treat people like they matter, like they're humans, like they're not just a number, like you're, you know, you don't want them just show up because, okay, I need this done. And you do what I say. And when I say it and, you know, follow this to get our mission complete or affect our bottom line. When you actually take, Uh, stock in your people and you show up the way you want them to show up, you know, have character, have integrity. I think that, that's the whole ship. And when I talk about this, when people ask me about leadership, I always give this example. So I had a supervisor um, who was, I had a supervisor and their supervisor. So my second level supervisor, he would see me and say, Hey, Trina, how are you, how are you two boys doing? And I would say, I don't have two boys because I don't, I have a girl and a boy. Pictures on my desk show girl and boy, but yet every time he saw me, he would ask how my two boys. And it really started to bother me. really showed me the type of person he was because I corrected him the first couple of times. And then the next time something told me, don't even bother. Because you're not important to him. He doesn't care. Because you have said this time and time again, and he chose to dismiss it. So that really told me a lot about this person. And, and as time went on, he really began to show what type of person he was, which I had some major is, issues with this, this person. Um, but that says a lot when just something minor like that, and I expect him to know my children's name, but... I would have preferred him to just say how are your kids doing how are your children doing but the fact that he said how are your two boys doing when i repeatedly told him i don't have two boys that really let me know that he really didn't care about me he was just whatever he was trying to do the check in the box to make it seem like he was such a great leader when he wasn't and in it it did prove to be that that was the case that he he was not a good leader. He was not trustworthy, his character. And just things that I looked at and I was like, no, just not the person that I wanted to show up my best self for because that's what he gave me.
0: I think everybody's known for leadership like that. One of the things that uh, that prior to beginning this interview, we, we talked about is, you know, your, your experiences, maybe some of, um, the adversity you experienced in, in serving in a male dominated occupation, um, you know, where I, I know that women aren't valued the same as their male counterparts. And a lot of times are excluded or treated less than. And I, I just, I, I want to touch on a couple of things regarding this. Um, my experience with it was in the fire service. And, you know, and I've talked about this in, in other episodes where Early on in my career in the fire service, I had the typical misogynistic attitude that was kind of like, this was the reality, you know, women are messing up the, the fire department, you know, they don't belong here. And, uh, and I ended up working with some really solid female firefighters that were better than a lot of the men that I worked with. And my attitude was like, oh, well, they're the exception. And I made some really ignorant comments to these particular women. And initially, they didn't say anything. You know, they just kind of agreed with me. And um, one day, this, she's... uh, An incredible friend to this day, Um, senior firefighter. I uh, I was hanging out with her and um, I made a comment and she lit me up and I learned a very valuable lesson and it stuck with me to this day. And I started to pay attention to what women were really having to deal with in that environment and it really it bugged me and it bugs me to this day and uh but one of the things that I, i share with a lot of people and i've done a lot of research i've written an article for fire engineering magazine regarding how valuable women are in male-dominated occupations, and it's, um, it's not a person's gender that determines their ability to do a job. It's, you know, that person, that individual, their abilities, male or female, that determines their ability, not gender, <clears throat> and When it comes to leadership and i'm sure you're well aware of this but um one of the things that uh, i highlighted in the one article that i wrote was um that when you look at emotional intelligence and a lot of the research in leadership talks about that key component a person's emotional intelligence is directly related to how they're viewed as a leader, how successful they are as a leader. And there are areas that, you know, it's not across the board a hundred percent, but by and large, you know, a woman's experience growing up gives them a different perspective than what men have and their ability to interact with, with the people that they're leading. You know, typically women are better communicators, more empathetic, better at creating and maintaining good relationships and in male dominated occupations, when you are lacking that influence, There is, without a doubt, uh, a lack of good, solid leadership. And if, and I'm speaking about the fire service right now, if the fire service would embrace um, that, that type of leadership from women and just really embrace a more inclusive culture. I believe that uh, the leadership in the fire service would grow exponentially and improve exponentially. And so that leads me into, maybe you could talk about some of your experiences, some of the adversity you faced and and how you overcame that, or maybe some lessons that you learned. Maybe you weren't, um, the best at handling that adversity at first, but you learned some lessons that maybe you could pass on to some of the, the listeners. Wow. I I love
1: that. And I love what you said, as far as you learning from what your female coworker, um, corrected you on. Um I've had a lot of adversity and you're talking about being a black female, one the tech industry. And that's where my passion is right now. And that's what I work on in my business is going out speaking to these corporations when they were talking about diversity and inclusion. And it just amazes me how they say they can't find any qualified, you know, black people or black women or women of color to get these tech Positions And I'm thinking, what? I'm, I'm one of them. How, how can you not see? Um, so that is um, something that I hold near and dear to my heart, especially what I like to speak on. But during my career, I've, I've had it in the military. I've had it in private sector where women are just not valued. And like you said, women, what most people don't realize is women do bring another perspective to the position. They are, by nature, we are, I think, more open to understanding and listening and just following our intuition by listening and really observing. So I think that's one of the things that women have because naturally we're the caregivers. We're, you know, we're mothers and we have to really understand our children. Like I said, I have two children and I know I mother them differently even though they're both my children, they're both in the same home, I know what works for one will not work for the other. And I think that's a an asset that a lot of women have. And I'm not saying every woman, but I think that's one that a lot of women have and a lot of women have tapped to. But in my career, I have, you know, especially in tech. So tech is male-dominated, as we know. And I started my tech career in the 90s. And still, today, we're still talking about being underrepresented, underpaid women of color. And I say black women, Latino women, black women, indigenous women, women of color in general. And that was a big fight for me because I went through the ring of programming. I was a computer programmer. I got into digital forensics later on. That was something that was a passion of mine. And I paid for certifications and training, but I was a programmer for some big major corporations that have I named now, you would be like, whoa. And I programmed multi million dollar systems. But then now I look back, and it's funny because I look back at this time, and I was the only programmer that they had on these systems. But yet I was underpaid. Every time I would go to my supervisor, and say, hey, I need a raise because I'm doing X, Y, Z. I always got, well, no, you have to do better at this. You have to do better at that. Oh, well, maybe next time. And I'm thinking, well, if I were lacking in such a way, why am I the only person maintaining a multi-million dollar system that this company runs? My, my My last corporate job before leaving corporate in tech was I worked for a power company we did power and water and I was the programmer for their, what they call the material system. So, I mean, I was in charge of the system that maintained from a nut and boat to transformers, things like that. And that was all me programming and maintaining the system. And several times I said, what is a big lift? Can I get some help? No, they can never get any help. There was never anyone around. And I couldn't get a raise and I went to HR and HR was like, yeah, for you and the time you've been, here, yes, you are underpaid, you should be paid more. But then, oh, you have to work on this, you have to work on that. So there was always some excuse. And it was funny because when I left, I had a coworker who was a white male who ended up telling me that in a, the person who they had replaced me, which was a white male when they met, he was saying, hey, you know what? This is a heavy lift, I need some help. Same thing I said. And my friend said, yeah, Trina has been saying that for years, but you guys didn't want to help her. Now you have a new person in place and he's saying the same thing. So obviously I wasn't just making this up. So it was It's always been that kind of thing. In the military, of course you get, I was a senior officer when I retired, I was a Lieutenant Commander. Um, you get walking in rooms where people kind of dismiss you. And so many times I looked Around and not only was I the only woman in the room, I was the only woman of color, and I was the highest-ranking woman. That a lot of times people just dismiss me; they walk past me like I didn't matter, like they didn't see me. And literally, I've had people walk past me and turn their heads like they just refuse to recognize me. And you know, it's just it made me really start to see how things were, and not that I had blinders on my life, but it just really amazed me how this was. And and in turn, as a result, it just made me wanna show up even more. So I took classes on my own. I got certifications on my own. I always made sure that I was one step ahead of wherever they thought I should be. So when I was programming, if they came to me and they said, oh, we want this, this, done. You know, something that I knew that they didn't have training for. They had no concept. Like the last thing was they wanted to implement a barcode system. So they wanted to have a system like Walmart. When things run low, they wanted to know that they could automatically, you know, replenish. They didn't have any concept of this in mind, anything. But I went and I did all the research and I came back and said, okay, here, this is how Walmart does it. This is how we can do it. This was just their dream. And it came to me okay, this is what we want to do. But they had no idea to do it. So it took me doing all this research and implementing and, and looking at different companies and applications and things like that, all that I did. Nobody helped me with that. So I've always found myself having to be 10 steps ahead, always having to know that, I have to be better and I have to, and I hate to say this, but I have to almost prove that I'm worthy, that I deserve to be here, deserve to be in this room. And one of the people who inspired me growing up was Shirley Chisholm and she was the first black woman in Congress and uh, essentially after that, she was the first black woman to run for presidency. She didn't win, but she had a saying that was if they don't have a seat for you at the table, bring a folding chair. And that's always been my mentality is I work hard. No one gave me anything. I don't care what you want to say. I work. I deserve to be in this room. I deserve whatever. So I'm going to show you that. And, you know, it's really hard when you have to think about, that's how you have to approach your life on a daily basis. And being a woman, you have to do that. But then being a woman of color on top of that, it is triple that time. And, and that's how I have to live my life is knowing that, okay, I have, I belong in this room. I've shown, I have to show up. I've had people I've had surface people come to my home and they'll look at my house and go, Oh, Oh, where's your husband? Like what? So you just assume that I'm married. Um, I've called, you know, the bank, which, you know, I'm not going to, I'm going to say, you know, I bank with the USAA. They are supposed to be military friendly. I've called and talked to somebody and they were like, oh, well, um, your husband, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, no, you need to look at the account again. I am Lieutenant Commander. And they're like, oh, oh. So those are the things you, you go through. And my advice would be just continue to show up. Continue to know that you belong, you deserve to be there. I don't care whether it's the military, whether it's you're a woman in tech, whether you're a woman firefighter, I don't care. You did what you had to do to get there. So you belong, keep showing up, keep improving. Don't, don't give them to upper hand. Don't give them the reason to say, well, see, that's why we don't have women here or or they can't do this job or they're not strong enough or they're not smart enough because we are and we're very resilient.
0: In in my career, I, I worked my way up. Um, eventually, retiring as a battalion chief, I was in charge of six fire stations. I had served three years as the battalion chief in charge of special operations for the the fourth largest fire department in the state of Florida and managed millions of dollars in grant funding training for all of the special operations personnel in the department. And women were very underrepresented in special operations. Um, yeah. You know, it's, and I, I know it's the same in the military. It's, uh, you know, very machismo, like type A personality, setting the bar high. You have to have the bar set high in special operations, but a lot of um, just treatment that you know, it's intended to, to make the younger, um, less experienced personnel um, more motivated or to strive harder or whatever, you know. But it's treatment that is like, you know, not typically uh, considered positive reinforcement, let me put it that way. One of the things that uh, I did as a fire officer, as a Lieutenant was, I worked really hard at developing a leadership program. Um, Started off just for the guys at my station. And I say guys, because it was an all male crew, um, but ended up being able to implement it for the entire department. And it was, in my research on you know leadership that I came across um, the emotional intelligence component it really led me to think about the, the value that women bring to, to leadership and just that different perspective and how I needed to be able to you know, develop those skills, those communication skills, empathy, all, all of that. And, um, really it was mostly listening. I really wanted to create a program that focused on developing strong female leadership in the personnel in the department. And, um, started a program that, you know, the, the group that I had put together, it was all very well-respected, um, high achieving women that all had their own experiences, their own adversity that they had faced as they moved up in the department. And the idea was that they would serve as mentors for women, just entering the department and serve as a conduit that if these younger women were struggling in some aspect of the job, the their mentor, if they couldn't um, work with them, they could get them a person that uh, could help them develop those skills. And really also help them um, make better decisions on how to deal with any negative treatment or um, just that, you know, keeping, keeping the women at arm's length and uh, a lot of men, and I was guilty of it, would not invest a whole lot of time in mentoring women because of the the optics you know, you'd always get the the comments like oh know why you're hanging out with her you know and and so that led to you know that that hesitancy to to really mentor women um because of being accused of something you know uh, other than what it was and then I decided, well, all of that be damned, you know, I, I need to, to do this. And I started, you know, mentoring, well, young firefighters, men and women. But um, towards the end of my career, I was mentoring a young woman. And uh, because I was not experienced at being a mentor, for women, I exposed myself to um, really, we became romantically involved, which really messed things up. Um, And it derailed my efforts and really made me look way different than I wanted to look. And, um, and so one of the things that, uh, you know, that was a very important lesson for me. And I, I want to share that with any men out there listening that are you know, not mentoring women to avoid such a thing. It doesn't have to be that way. In male-dominated occupations, it is so important for men to be men, to, to you know, be good, solid leaders and just be respectful and, and really identify if you are a mentor to a woman, you got to keep it professional and keep it... Um, in that arena, mentorship um, and, and make sure that you set those boundaries ahead of time because if you don't, you know, I'm a perfect example of uh, how you can kind of derail what start, started off as uh, the best of intentions. So, and then not only that, you know, young firefighter, um, you know, our relationship was made out to be, you know, like scandalous, and it really wasn't, we legitimately cared for each other, um, but still had those optics, and she then had to deal with those repercussions that she did not deserve to, to have to deal with. I said all of that to maybe get an idea of your um, your thoughts on the importance of, of men being mentors to women.
1: You know, I, and I appreciate you being um, honest and vulnerable about your situation. But it's very important for men to be mentors, allies, um, sponsors for women, because sometimes there is that situation where just a woman on her own, even though she may be qualified, she may possess the credentials that she can't get to that next level or she can't have a door open for her. And sometimes it, it just takes someone, and, and a lot of times it may be a man to. To voice his support and I've had a a male in my life like that who voiced his support who was a mentor to me who was a sponsor for me and who because of his um, and I don't want to use vouching but because of his being an advocate for me it opened doors for me to a place that probably never would have been open to for me but like you were saying, it does have to, you have to have boundaries. And that's one of the things, like I said, the character integrity, all that and boundaries go with leadership. And if, and you you know, like you were saying, your good intentions kind of got derailed by your outcome. And that's what you don't want to, you don't want that to happen because unfortunately people today, that's what they think. If they see uh, a man helping a woman or whatever, vice versa. They think, oh, there's something going on there. And that's not always the case. I mean, even something as simple as you have a coworker, male and female, you may go out to lunch together and then all of a sudden rumors start, you know, and, and it's so sad that we as humans have to think like that. So that's where things come in place. You know, and that's, that's happened to me before I, I've been in the working environment where I had male co-workers who were friends and we would just go out to lunch and then you come back and hear people going, oh yeah, Mm. I saw you going to lunch with, you know, with John over there and you're like, yeah, and so what? Because that's how little people are. That's how so their mind works. And we really need to get away from that because, and it's almost like they're looking for something scandalous. And the saying of, Misery Loves Company is true because those people who are saying things like that, basically they're trying to project onto you what their shortcomings are. So we have to move past that. But again, men, I don't want men because of that to feel skeptical or to pull away from being mentors for women because it it is needed. Because, like I said, regardless, there are a lot of qualified women. And in my case, I knew I was qualified. I knew I possessed the the qualities, the credentials, the experience, and everything for this position. But my mentor, because he had the connects and he knew people that I didn't know in places that I could never reach, he was able to say, hey, this is a solid person. And That's what you need to do to help, especially when you know that there's someone qualified. So please don't feel afraid. Don't feel threatened. Don't feel that someone is going to take your good action and turn it around. Because as long as you're staying true to who you are and what your mission is, which is to help this person, to mentor them, to guide them, to give them wisdom, as long as you do that, it it'll all come out in the wash. Don't worry about what people are saying because regardless, people are gonna speak anyway. But I really hate when men don't want to do it because they feel how they're gonna be perceived. They, they're, they're fearing the optics of it. And the just the truth of the matter is you're always gonna have somebody who wants to spin the optics the way they want to because they wanna project, like I said, their shortcomings onto you they want to you know whatever their issue is or whatever they may be doing or have a problem with in their life they want to project it onto you so they you know of course they want to spread the room of oh okay well there must be something going on with them because this and that's not the case and you're always going to find somebody who will listen to that so you can't let that determine how you are going to conduct yourself and help someone else so you just have to not even worry about that.
0: I'd really like to learn more about your book. And maybe you know, I don't want you to give away everything, but um, maybe the highlights you if you could share with the audience.
1: So uh, my book is half, um, memoir, sort of speak, and have inspiration, self-help, however you want to view it. But I talk about the seven steps that I went through in my life when I was going through the dark period and trying to really rebuild my life and get past my mistakes of the past. Because I was, I was holding on to mistakes in the past and really beating myself up for them internally. So just to kind of run down the steps I have. Change your mindset is number one, because we all know it all starts with your mind. So regardless of anything, if you don't have the right mindset, there's nothing. So change your mindset. Set goals, set goals, um, invest in personal development, Let me see what, oh, evaluate yourself. So it's change your mindset, evaluate yourself, because we all have to look and be honest with ourselves. So you can change your mindset and say, okay, instead of me thinking this way, I'm going to think that way, but are you really truly going to do that? And until you really look inside yourself and evaluate yourself, you're not going to do it. And you have to be honest. You have to be honest of where you're messing up, where your shortcomings are, and you can't just blame other people. So that's, and and you know what, and- <laughs> evaluating yourself and looking at yourself and really truly looking at yourself is a hard thing to do. So a lot of us don't want to do it because it's confronting, right? So for you to say, you know what? I'm in this situation because this was my own doing and not shaming, not blaming, that's very hard to do. So doing that, setting goals, setting goals on what you want to accomplish in your life, investing in personal development, that's another thing, whether it's get a coach, um, invest in some courses, get some certificates, whatever that is on that journey that you want to go to, that's something that you have to do. Build relationships. Now, I know we all think that we can do things ourselves and that we don't need anyone else, but as we were just speaking about mentors and sponsors and allies, you have to build relationships because you can't do it alone. We're not in this world alone. You have to have, there's gonna be someone that's gonna help you along the way. And, and I give this example in my book and, I, and I'm gonna talk about it here is when I was doing my MBA thesis, I was doing it on the beers and the diamond and diamond cartels and the whole nine yards. So at the time, my ex-husband who at that time we were dating, he was in Africa working on his um, PhD dissertation. So he rented a room from this woman who was kind of like a socialite. She was very well connected. I went out to visit him and I told her, okay, I'm doing my MBA thesis on diamonds and blah, 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 we got to talking. So probably the second, third night or whatever I was there, she invited us to go to this function with her, which there were a lot of socialites there, people, of the country and just some really prominent people so I ended up going there didn't know what to expect she comes over to me with the well-dressed man and she introduces us and she tells the man hi you know this is Trina she's working on her her MBA thesis and she's doing it on diamonds blah 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 the man in turn he starts talking to me this man is the VP number two of De beers and he asked me oh, do you want to go see the diamond mine? So again, building relationships. Unless I had, you know, if I had not told her what I was doing, I would have never met this man. So building relationships, actually telling people with the right people. So not just anybody, but if you're telling people what you are thinking, what you may have planned, what you're doing, more than likely, i found that there's a lot of people who will assist you and help you Even if they can't help you themselves, they may have someone who they know that they can connect you with. They may be able to share a bit of advice to say, you know what, when I was going through this, I experienced this, so do this. So building those relationships, because you never know how those relationships are going to turn out. Then being perfectly imperfect, and I say that because none of us are perfect, and we hate that we're not perfect because we're like, oh, man, I'm so stupid. Why didn't I do this? Why didn't I do? Because I did it. But you, you're you human. And at the end of the day, that's all we can say is, okay, yep, I messed up there or I made this mistake. So I'm going to just do better next time. So you, you can't be perfect. You're just So just think of it as I'm going to be perfectly imperfect. I know I'm going to make mistakes. I know I'm going to mess up, but I'm not going to let that stop me. And then finally, the last step is, committing to the change. Everything that you've worked on in those previous six steps is actually doing it and committing to whatever it takes to have that desired outcome that you want to have. And that's what I talk about in the book. I talk about my real life experiences, and I ended up being very vulnerable in this book, which I hadn't planned when I started it. But I talk about some of the things that I went through and how I used each one of those steps to kind of rebuild myself and get out of that. And hopefully to the readers, that will be something that will assist them and help them. And you can go to my website. I have a free workbook that you can download to help you with the exercises that I talk about in the book, where you can actually write and you can journal so you can get that. But that's my book. And it, it really was something that was a labor of love to me that really I had to sit down and be honest with myself, and talk about and share. And like I said, I ended up being vulnerable, um, sharing things that I didn't expect to share, but I knew that it would touch someone and help someone along the way with what they needed to overcome.
0: Thank you so much for for spending this time with me, Trina. Um, I was wondering, is there anything that we didn't touch on that you feel is important uh, to talk about um, before we go?
1: You know, I just want to just tell everyone out there, especially the women, regardless of what industry you're in, like I said, just show up, show up, do, do what you know you're capable of doing, be who you are. Don't try to change for anyone else. Don't let anyone degrade you because a lot of times we let people dim our light and don't dim your light for anyone. Shine brightly. Don't degrade yourself. Don't compromise yourself. Whatever it is that you stand for stand flat-footed and be firm and know that that's who you are and you deserve to be where you are.
0: On that note, I want to, want to share something. Sometimes, When we, and and we talked about this earlier, you know, we make mistakes and then we, we carry that, that shame with us and allow it to affect our approach moving into the future. One of the things that I've talked about and and I try and impart on some of my clients is that, you know, when we make a decision or we're, we're uh, trying to achieve some goal or, you know, it may be a situation that we're in and there's, you can decide to do this or you can decide to do that. Your goal is to do the right thing. And it's almost like, you know, aiming a bow and arrow and your, your intention is to hit the bullseye. And when you let that arrow fly, you know, there's all these different things that you have to take into account. You know, the the wind, the weight of the arrow, the the poundage of the draw and the distance, all all of that. So it's very similar when we're making a decision in, uh you know in a brief period of time. You're making this decision based on the information that you have and how you feel at that moment. When you let that arrow fly, you could be off. Your aim can be off just a little bit and you're going to miss the bullseye. But once that arrow is let loose, you can't grab it and pull it back. The only thing you can do is watch where it lands and say okay the this is the correction that i need to make okay. you know that's and and so many times we focus on i didn't hit the bullseye i didn't hit the bullseye i didn't hit the bullseye and that can cause us to hesitate and and maybe choose not to let another arrow fly i just i feel like if we can not be afraid to make mistakes and when we do understand that that was an opportunity for us to learn to to improve and if it if it is a mistake if we miss the the bullseye just take aim again with the knowledge that you now have and um keep moving forward because the next mistake you make, it's just another opportunity to, to make yourself better. And don't carry it around like a failure. Something to be ashamed of.
1: Because we're all human. And that, that goes to my chapter, Perfectly Imperfect. You know, we all have good intentions. I, I just failed to believe that people wake up saying, you know what, I want to screw up my life or I want to make the biggest mistakes. So we're human. You're, you have good intentions. You set out to do things. They don't happen the way that we hope that they happen. And what I've learned in my life is, because I was that person, I was so, I was ashamed of myself because I made this like, oh, how stupid am I? You know, you're smart, but you just did something that was very stupid. I was shamed and just thinking, how would people view me? One, don't worry about how people think. To you you're human, but then what I've actually learned in my life is a lot of times I had the perfect plan of how this was supposed to go, but then I learned that God had another plan, so my plan that was supposed to go this way may not have worked the way I hoped it had, but then when I actually look back in retrospect, it worked out better because it took a different detour, a different route, something that was out of my control and out of my hand. So you have to start looking at things that way instead of just saying, okay, I failed. Uh, I, I've made the mistake. This How could this be? How am I so stupid? Yeah, you're human. You made a mistake, learn from it. You're gonna make another mistake. Hopefully it's not the same mistake, but you're human. But then a lot of times that mistake that you think was a mistake was actually something that was redirecting you to a way that you were supposed to be. So it just, it all depends on how you look at it, but don't, don't think that you're a failure. Don't think that your mistakes have defined who you are and where you're going because they don't.
0: Again, thank you so much, Trina, for, for taking this time to, to talk with me. Uh, I think the listeners are going to get a lot out of this conversation. And, and again, if, if, Anybody out there is, and I'm sure there's a lot of you that are interested in, in buying Trina's book, you can go to her website, Trina L. Martin.com. You can find links to purchase her book. You can download the complimentary workbook. You can look at booking her to speak or, or get some training from her. Um, so Check her out, check out her her podcast as well. And uh, again, thank you so much, Trina.
1: Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. And I just want to say thank you for what you're doing. This is a
0: great show. Thank you for listening to this episode of From Embers to Excellence. Please like and subscribe to my YouTube channel. Follow me on your favorite podcast platform and visit HollenbachLeadership.com for additional content. My goal is and always will be to add value to as many people as possible, so if I can be of any assistance to you or someone you know, please connect with me via email or on one of my social media accounts linked on the homepage of my website. Remember, our failures don't define us unless we let them, and the only true measure of a leader is the success of their team.